Thank you for being here on this beautiful Canada Day. It's a great privilege to be a part of our nation. Uh, many of us, I think we did this a few weeks ago, probably almost half of us were born outside of Canada and have chosen to make Canada our home. What a great, great privilege. Uh, my family immigrated a little bit while bef uh, before some of you came across on a boat in uh, 1905 from Scotland, and uh, here we are, and I know some of you have come on planes, and some of you have come on trains, some of you have come on automobiles, some of you were born here, but whatever, uh, or however we got here, we're glad we're here in Canada. It's a beautiful, beautiful nation. It's just a great privilege to be here, and to whom much is given, much is required. What a great privilege, but first we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We love Canada, but we love Jesus more. And so his way is the best way. So we're going to celebrate Canada at the end of the service. We have some cake. and We're going to sing, Oh, Canada, pray for our nation. But right now we're beginning a new series called Breathe Again. Uh, summertime is a little bit of a season where we do that, where life is busy. And hopefully some of us will get an opportunity to take a breath, to relax a little bit, to have some holiday time. Uh, just as an aside... I don't know if you call it holiday time or vacation time, but I, a number of years ago, I heard someone talk about this and I changed my vocabulary. Vacation means kind of like I vacate my life. I leave my life. Uh, and I kind of the mentality of what go, happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. In other words, I let, I go and do things that I might never do. I, I just step out of my life and, and I try and escape it. But holiday comes out of the word meaning holy days. And when we approach our times of rest and relaxation, which we absolutely need, with the idea that we're setting aside some time, some holy days of rest and rejuvenation, of inviting God to do his work in us as we sit by the lake, as we relax, as we have fun and whatever it is, that I'm not vacating my life and then coming back to my dreary life. My whole life is holy before God and I invite him into those times of relaxation and he does way more just way more and refreshes my soul and restores me and does so much. So I encourage you to take some holy days this summer and rest and relax and enjoy life and family. But that's all for the side. I don't know why I said that, but here we are. It happens sometimes. How many of you have ever been out of breath? How many of you were out of breath this morning when you walked up the stairs? Yeah, you know. Uh, we've, most of us have experienced that. We don't, uh, like being out of breath. It's one thing to be out of breath, but it's one thing when you can't catch your breath or you have no breath with you. I've, I think I've told you this before, but, uh, I grew up in a family of six kids. I was number five. Uh, I was, uh, three older brothers older than me. And when you're the younger, sometimes your older brothers lead you astray. How many of you know that if you're younger, you have an older brother or older sister? Yeah. We had a fold-up couch. <laughs> and uh, my brother said to me, wouldn't it be cool to get folded up in that couch? And I was probably six years old or five years old. I trusted my big brothers, one of them who's here today, I think. And uh, I said, I think that could be kind of cool, but you'll let me out, right? Oh, yeah, we'll let you out. So I laid on the couch and they folded this old, I mean, those, you know, the height of beds are, they are like way a lot. They folded me in there, folded me right in, put the cushions on. They thought, that's cool. I'm like, okay, guys, <laughs> that was cool, but can I get out? 
And they're like, nope. And they sat on the couch and they started talking. And I'm in there <laughs> trying to breathe. And I'm starting to get a little panicky because I'm squished into this uh, position inside the hide bed So the moral of the story is nothing to do with don't trust your brothers. It just means that I began to panic because I had no breath. I had no breath within me, and I started to holler and using my last breath, or so I thought. My life was flashing before me all five years of it. It just took a second. Uh, But here I was, and and finally when I screamed and shouted, and they were afraid of my mom, and you should be, uh, they let me out. And I... (sighs) And for some reason, ever since that day, I have a hard time with enclosed spaces. I, I don't know what's, what's going on. But there's nothing like being out of breath because it, it does cause you to panic. You can do it for a little bit and it's kind of cool, but it, suddenly it's gone. If you've ever been trapped underwater, if you've been in, locked in a room or a closet or uh, it, all kinds of different things. But I remember one time where I couldn't catch my breath. It was in the year, I think, around 2008 or 2009. And uh, I rolled up to my office in my old Ford pickup in, on Vancouver Island. And I went to get out of my truck and I couldn't breathe. Suddenly I couldn't catch my breath. And I thought, what is going on? Am I having a heart attack? Is there, is there something wrong? I rebuke you, Satan. I do whatever I could. I started to pound the steering wheel and say, you're going to breathe. And I started to will myself to breathe and calm down. And I realized that I was having what I understood later to be called a panic attack. My chest was just constricting. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't figure out what was going on. But I, being a, a good, hardworking man, I got my breath after about what seemed like minutes and minutes and minutes was probably 45 seconds or something. I started to breathe and catching my breath and I'm out in the parking lot. Nobody's aware. And I didn't call anybody. I didn't do anything. I got out and I went into my office and began to work. I slowly realized that something is wrong. I, I, I was bewildered. I was discouraged. I didn't know what was happening, but I knew that something was messed up on the inside of me. I was hurting. I was feeling overwhelmed. If you asked me, I would have said, I'm fine. Everything's good. Even if you had seen that happen, I said, it's probably fine. I'm I'm, I'm probably something I ate or I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have had so much coffee. But I didn't know if it was physical. I didn't know if it was spiritual. I didn't know if it was emotional. I was overwhelmed at times. I knew inwardly I wasn't doing well. And I didn't know what to do. I was out of breath. Figuratively and literally, I was stuck. I was in a place where I didn't know how to catch my breath. Overwhelmed in so many ways. But I was a pastor. It was... I wasn't old. I shouldn't be having these things. It's 37, I think, at the time. I was just in a slump. I, I felt listless. Have you ever been that place where you felt in the doldrums, where you felt out of breath, where you felt like you're stagnant and you're just going through the motions, but there's no life there? You just kind of one foot in front of the other, but there's the sense of life and joy seems to be robbed out of your life. And it's just there. You're just existing. 
Some, some, sometimes we know why we're there because it's something very significant that happens. You might have gone in a job loss. You might have, maybe you've had a terrible time in your relationship and, and you've, you're in the middle of a of separation or perhaps even a divorce or maybe there's a financial issue or maybe you're in university and you're struggling because you're working all day and you're studying all night and you're getting up and you're not getting enough sleep. And so you kind of know. So sometimes things are happening in our lives and it could be a wayward child, someone dies that's close to you and and you just can't catch your breath other times you don't even really know why in particular it's it's you just know it's been a long time since you've been fired up about anything it's been a long time since you've been fired up and passionate about your relationship it's been a long time since you got out of bed and said i can't wait to get to work and that's the way it's meant to be you're meant to be passionate about what you do how, maybe it's been a long time you recognize that your passion for God is waned in some way and you, you feel like the pilot light of your life is gone. Never mind just the furnace, just the pilot light is even gone and blown out. You don't even know why. You know something wrong, but you're not sure quite what it is. You feel like you're doing what you're supposed to do. You may even know where you think you're supposed to go in life, but you're stuck in this zone, the doldrums, where there's no wind, there's no breath, there's no life. It's listless and still. And you hear people talk about God's goodness and His greatness, and, and you're like, I know about that, I've, I've read about that, and I remember experiencing that at one time, but it's just, I can't breathe. I, 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 I can't catch my breath. I'm I, I don't know if I ever will again. And we question ourselves, we question God, we question the church, and we discover for the first time that our faith maybe does not always appear to work. And we wonder what's going on. And we have more questions than answers as it seems like the foundations of everything that we trust are being shaken. And we begin to wonder where God is. We wonder what he's doing and will this ever be over? Is this my new reality? But we look good on the outside. And we smile and we keep going. But one of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible is not a book of platitudes of perfect people by perfect people. It's a book of real people going through real problems. It's a book about people learning to live under and walk through the reality of struggle and pain. And one of the great writers of the Bible is Paul. Uh, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. You see books like Romans and First and Second Corinthians and some of the epistles all through there. Paul wrote those. And he was an incredible uh, church planter. He, he would go into areas and start churches in places where there was no church. He would, he would go and people would uh, curse him out. People would stone him. Uh, he was shipwrecked. All kinds of stuff. And, and when I read about him, uh, he's a champion and he's one that, that we can look up to. And, but this is what he says in Second Corinthians. He, he's an incredible role model, but he's writing a letter and he's in his letter at the very beginning, he's describing a recent trip where he had gone to talk about Jesus throughout all Asia. And he'd been following the direction of Jesus. But listen to what his report is. He said, brothers and sisters, you need to know about the severe trials we experienced while we were in western Turkey. All the hardships we passed through crushed us beyond our ability to endure. 
And we were so completely overwhelmed that we were about to give up entirely. It felt like we had a death sentence written upon our heart and we still feel it to this day. And he's, just go back to that one. Severe trial. Times of weariness. Times of stagnation. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Times where the pressure was absolutely overwhelming. I don't know if I'm going to make it. It's too heavy. I can't hang in. And the doldrums, uh, lifeless and overwhelmed and weary and ready to quit. It says like he felt like he had a death sentence. In other words, there were times where he thought either A, I'm going to die, or B, I wonder what it would be like if I just disappeared. Speaking to the reality of his experience and what he walked through. And in our desire to talk about God's power to transform our lives and set us on a path for him, we cannot miss the fact that sometimes... And sometimes it's fairly often. The pathway that moves us forward first seems to stop. And he goes on to the next. He says, all those things have taught us to lose all faith in ourselves. And to place all of our trust in the God who raised the dead. He has rescued us from terrifying encounters with death. And now we fasten our hopes on him to continue to deliver us from death yet again. As you help us by your prayers. So he said, I'm going through all these things that seem to literally have stopped my life and, and I don't, knew, don't know what I'm doing or how I'm getting there, but I'm just trying to follow Jesus. And, and in that, is sometimes Jesus will stop you for a short time so he can empower you for a long time. Sometimes what you're going through is God working so that he can get you to where he wants you to be. You see, we, we spent 15 years on Vancouver Island. It's a beautiful place. Uh, I, what I, one of the things I miss most about not living right by the ocean is that. We lived in Campbell River for seven years, and you literally were, uh, at any moment, no more than a mile from the ocean. For a time, we lived across the water or across the road from the ocean. Our property was right there, a small little house. And we lived there for a long time, and it's so beautiful. The sea is beautiful. How many of you love to be out on the water? And yeah, and one of friends of ours had a sailboat and I remember going out and, and there's something about when a warm wind is blowing in the, in the middle of the summer and it fills the sails of the boat and, and just the wind pushes it along and you're, you're flying along and it's just the wind blowing in the sails and, and moving the, the boat along. And uh, before motorized boats, sailors used that to get all around the world and he used the trade winds to get transatlantic voyages and, and to explore all over the world. And, and they would use the power of the wind, the breath of the wind to move their life along. And, but before there was motors on, they just had sails. And so one area that they would avoid at all costs was an area near the equators. And it became, it came to be known as the doldrums or the doldrums, however you want to say it. And it's taken from a root word that means dull or lifeless. The expression in the doldrums was used to describe being bored, being listless, being in a slump. And so sailors gave this name, the doldrums, to the specific region near the equator where the north winds would blow one way and the south winds would blow the other way. And they seemingly would cancel one another out. And so the wind would just kind of all, like drop and it would be nothing. 
And sometimes what would happen is the wind says they cancel the other out because there was a convergence of winds at time. There would bring a lot of precipitation to them. And they, you, so you would be stuck. If you got caught in them, you would be stuck in the middle of not being able to move, rain pouring down on you, and you are getting soaking wet, and you're just stuck there in the middle of the storm, not able to move. And the worst thing about them is that they were unpredictable in their size. Sometimes it was just a small area, and you could see, by the way, where the clouds were to try to avoid it. Other times it would be large, and it would happen suddenly, and it would move in and kind of almost catch you by surprise. But the worst thing is that the sailor knows he's beginning to enter it, but he doesn't know when or if he'll escape it. It can last a moment. It can last a matter of hours. It could last days. Sometimes it would last so long that ships would be filled with horses that they were intending to take to a colony and, and they had to begin to get rid of the horses and throw them overboard. I don't know, it's nasty. And that's why you might have heard this area be called the horse latitudes is because they were doing that to lighten the load and also to stop them from drinking the water that they needed to survive as sailors. And it gives a picture the doldrums do as, as Paul said, we were completely overwhelmed and we are about to give up entirely. No wind. No life, no breath flowing, unpredictable in size. I don't know if I'm going to get out of this or when I'm going to get out of it. And the doldrums don't always seem to come for any single reason, but they do come. We don't always recognize how we get there, but somehow we, if you're going to live, you're going to get there at times. Sometimes it happens simply because we drift into the doldrums. We find ourselves in the lifeless doldrums, out of breath and passion, We're a Christ follower just kind of drifting along with the currents of the world and going along with whatever's happened. We don't want to go to hell, but, you know, I'm not really all into this Jesus thing, fully giving my life to him. And Jesus spoke to a church like this in in Revelation. He said, I know all that you do, and I know that you're neither frozen in apathy or fervent with passion. We're kind of not anywhere, just blah. Not really, not really terrible, but I'm not really on fire or... Jesus describes this church. He says, how I wish you were either one or the other because uh, you're neither cold nor, nor hot but lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out from my mouth. And living confused, living in a conflict between what we say we believe and what we actually do in our life. Uh, we have one foot in the world and one foot in following Jesus. And you have too much of God in you to enjoy living like a, well, a person that doesn't know God. But you also, uh, and so you can't enjoy that way and you have too much of the world in though in you though to really enjoy what it means to following Jesus and and discovering what he says is that your life is meant to be uh, abundant and full and overwhelmed with his presence and so neither way and you're just in this place of ah blah no life but are you drifting today are you drifting today perhaps it's been a long time since you felt a sustaining passion for the things of God. You're still here, but you've drifted and you find yourself in a doldrum, stuck, passionless, lifeless, struggling for and wishing for breath. Or maybe there's a storm that's pushed you into the doldrums. Again, living on Vancouver Island, there's a beautiful island. If you've never been there, find a way to get there. It's called Hornby Island. It's two islands 
on the in, uh, off the east side of Vancouver Island. Uh, beautiful. It's kind of like Canada's Hawaii. It's got uh, white sandy beaches instead of the rocky beaches we've got everywhere else. Beautiful sand. There's one you shouldn't go to because they don't wear their clothes on. So don't go to that one. That's Little Tribune. Don't go there. Uh, there's Big Tribune. No, it's beautiful bay. And uh, so one time we, uh, one of our favorite places to to spend a little bit of time, uh, we were there and I took my, my we had a little boat that was uh, 17 foot long. It was not the best boat, but it kind of worked most of the time. And so we took it over there, and we were uh, trolling on the outside of the island, and uh, right in, in the Gulf of, uh, Gulf of Georgia. And we, so we were trolling along, and we saw some signs that a storm was coming up. But the storm came, uh, we, even though we pulled our lines out, and we started ripping back to home base, but it was too late. And the, so the storm uh, pushed us so hard. The wind was blowing one way, the tide was going the other way, and I was not experienced uh, enough. And uh, the boat was, the waves were coming over it. I was like, I'm coming, Jesus, here I am. Like, and my father-in-law was in there, and he said, oh, no, we're not. He said, you turn your boat this way, get in the waves, come on. Oh. And uh, so in the, in the middle of all that, uh, it, it was overwhelming. And that's what Paul was talking about when he's talked about being overwhelmed, ready to give up. The waves of life are crashing over the top, and, and you're wondering, and, and can, I, can, I, can I continue to make it? Have you ever had a storm that just seemed to suck the life out of you and cause you to be overwhelmed? We go through storms in life. Sometimes it's our own fault because we just do stupid stuff. Amen. Sometimes it's because somebody else did something to you. And sometimes the Bible talks about this. They're just storms in life. They just happen. You didn't do anything. It's just there's a sin-cursed world and storms come. They just do. On the righteous and on people who don't know God. They just come. And it's in mid-1999, 2001, I had, uh, my job had ended. And so at that time in, in B.C., uh, the economy was diff- difficult. We were in uh, Campbell River. And the economy was difficult. And uh, so we had some severe financial issues. Uh, no job. And living on EI. Two kids. One coming. Uh, and, and so there were times when it was like, yeah, what are we going to eat tonight? Literally, uh, little to nothing left in the cupboard. We had uh, baby pablum, whatever we do that, enough to feed the kids. And then sometimes we were like touch and go. And, and I, again, you think I would learn, but this was almost 20 years ago. My outer guy was feeling fine and doing great. God's on the throne. It's going to be amazing. God's coming through. And, and, but secretly I was angry. I remember mowing my lawn and yelling at God and saying, what are you doing? Have you forgotten me? Do you even see me? You called me and you're like, where are you? And the storm was on and, and finally I, had, I got some steady work. In fact, I got two jobs and I was pumped about that because it meant that I could get away from my wife. No, I'm, I'm telling the truth. I mean, it's funny, but I'm telling you the truth. She was in postpartum depression. She was not pleasant to be around. And I didn't understand it. I just knew I didn't like it. And so I went off to work, and I had two jobs, 70, 80 hours a week, gone all the time. And I'm just, like, trying to hang on. The storm is blowing. The wind is going. And I, I can hardly breathe, but I'm just keeping on going. And, and uh, what happens is in those moments, you have to be aware. I was 29, 30 years old at the time, and there, I worked almost exclusively with women and in this one of these jobs and, and one of them was single another with a husband that worked away and there were and and I noticed there were subtle hints along with an invitation to go for a drink after work or come on let's just go and and uh, 
I, I, was, I was dumb, but I was not that dumb. And so uh, I, but I did notice that what, what was nutty for me to even consider at one time, I was now considering. I was now considering doing something that in my right mind, when the storm wasn't on, I would consider doing. And that's what storms do sometimes. That's the power of an unrelenting storm in the doldrums. And so I, I did and did tell my wife that this was happening. And thank God we didn't, didn't run aground. But too often, instead of running to Jesus, we are tempted to, or actually do, turn to counterfeit things. To, still, to attempt to still the storm, to attempt to get our breath back, to attempt to get some relief. And so we try to escape even for a few moments. And so we might go to pornography or we might find ourselves that the glass of wine that we used to have occasionally now has turned into two and three and four and is more regular doing something to try to stop the pain. Maybe it's where Netflix, instead of being an occasional show, is where I just have drown myself in it. I can't sleep at night, but I just try to watch another show because if I can just fall asleep, then then the storm will stop for a moment. Isolation from relationships, figuratively hiding under the blankets, so to speak, waiting for the storm to stop. And for others, it comes in the form of food where overeating or binge eating or other eating disorders. Or some might be tempted to elicit sexual activity that suddenly seems a palatable escape from the storm. But Are storms pushing you today and stealing your life and your breath? Because when the moments have passed, when the escape is over, we're still in the doldrums. But often, if we succumb to a counterfeit affection, the storm will be worse. And sometimes we just lose our way into the doldrums. It's not a drift. It's just we're not paying attention. Sailors could be heading along, seemingly headed for their destination, when suddenly the, they would realize that they were heading into a doldrum and they would begin to panic. They had to try to do whatever they could to lighten the load and, and they would lose their way and sometimes they would get into a difficult, difficult spot because they simply lost their way. Sometimes we were so desperately trying to meet the standards of society and the world and the people around us that we lose our way. We lose our ability to say no and we overschedule and the purpose and direction of our lives seems lost. It's not a drift. It's not a storm. We simply lost our purpose. We lost our direction. We lost our compass. It's like our compass just spins and we're going every which way and, and, and trying to do everything and be everything to everybody else. And the purpose of the journey is gone. And it, where we once had joy in our heart and we were following Jesus, suddenly we actually find ourselves in a place of, what is it all about? Is this all there is? My goodness. And the purpose is gone. We're striving to be the super mom. We're, we're digging into our business, trying to make it come alive and trying to keep it growing. We're trying to survive going through work, university and we're serving at church and at school and at work and we're somehow we have to pay the rent or the mortgage or, or maybe you had to take out another mortgage so you could fill up your car. Like it's not working or stuck and you're weary and you're lifeless and you're out of breath and, and just weary and we've lost our way. In the book of Exodus chapter 5, it's a story about the people of God were, had been in slavery for over 400 years. And they were in this process of God was bringing them out and using a man by the name of Moses. And Moses was doing, uh, had come and asked the king, please let my people go. And the long and short of it was, uh, he said, no, I'm not going to let you go. Uh, in fact, uh, I know you've been building for me as slaves and making bricks and doing all that. But we're going to make it worse. He says this, he says, 
after the request, he says, I want you to still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce their quota. He said, Take, we're not going to give them any straw anymore. They're going to make all the bricks that they were making before. And they're going to do not reduce their quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. So they had a desire to go and follow God. And the enemy immediately began to heap on them work, work, and more work. Work, work, and more work. Stress them out. Overwork them. Make them sweat. Make them just strive and work and strive and work and try and try so that they forget any dreams that they might have. And some of us, it's just simple. We've been overloaded, overscheduled, overdone, over over in every area of our life, living past the limits uh, that we're intended to live. We don't rest. We don't, we don't take time. We, we overschedule in everything and overeat in every area. It's just too much. And what happens is this is what the enemy's goal is, is to teach you. Don't listen to what God says. That's what his desire is to do. Overworked, all designed to push them from looking for the vision of God and following God to now just get in survival mode. Just, just make another brick. Forget the vision of God. Forget the promises of God. You have too many demands. You don't have time for spiritual things. Give up those fantasy of a life that would count. Just make it to the weekend. Collapse and we lose our purpose. We lose our joy. We lose our way trying to just keep up with life. The demands of others. The way of the inner taskmaster. Running our home. Trying to keep our marriage together. Balancing school and work and all the demands. And before we know it, we're surviving in the doldrums. Trying to catch our breath. And we just can't seem to do it. Have you lost your way? Perhaps you've been fighting and pushing and running and going for so long, you've forgotten what it is like to really live. What do you do? Well, I know my first reaction when I feel the doldrum is, I'm just going to try harder. I got in here somehow, I'm going to get out, and I'm going to work, and I'm going I'm to pray more, and I'm going to do this more, and I'm going to work more, and I'm going to get up earlier. And, I'm, and, and, and what happens is that I still stay stuck. But Paul says, brothers and sisters, you need to know that the severe trials we experienced while we were uh, in western Turkey, all the hardships we pressed through, all that crushed us beyond our ability to endure, yeah, those things, we were completely overwhelmed. We were about to give up. It felt like we had a death sentence written upon our hearts, and we still feel it to this day. So many of us experience the doldrums of life just like that, crushing us beyond our ability to endure, completely overwhelmed, about to give up. We felt like dying. Someone has called this the age of anxiety, and that's where many of us stop and stay right there. I want to give up. I can't handle it. There's too much. We check out. We check out. We check out. We, we isolate ourselves. We check out of church. We check out of relationship. We get into survival mode. But that's not where God wants us to stay. Paul launches into this beautiful reflection of what God's doing in those moments when there's no breath, when there's no wind, where it's dull and lifeless, listless. Like you want to give up. He says this, it has taught us. All that we've gone through is teaching us to lose all faith in ourselves and to place all of our trust in the God who raises the dead. He has rescued us from terrifying encounters with death and now we fasten our hopes on him to continue to deliver us from death yet again. This is not a big how-to. This, in, in, in like, do these nine steps and your life's going to be out of the doldrums. Paul says... All that's gone on has taught me something. It's taught me, I, I, 
I have never been meant to do this alone. I've never... My, see, all of Christianity starts with an acknowledgement that we can't save ourselves. We need Jesus. That our sin separates us from God, and yet God, who's rich in mercy and abounding in love, sent Jesus... God himself came and died on a cross because we couldn't bridge the gap between us and God. He died in our place and reconciles us to God. But then somehow, if you're a Christ follower, we forget that and we start doing it in our own strength. Paul's talking about, I'm overwhelmed. I, I want to give up. I feel like I'm going to die. Paul, you're writing the Bible. Like you've got it all together. No, I'm ready to give up. I want to quit. I feel like I'm going to die. I don't even know where the breath of life is for me. But these things have taught me to lose all faith in myself and look to the one who started the journey. The one who called me is faithful and he will do it. He who began the good work in me will be faithful to complete it. It's not by my might. It's not by my power. But it's by the Spirit of the Lord. It's not my ability that's going to figure it my way out. It's not my great idea that's going to fix it. Because if I could have, I would have. But we so often stay in the doldrums and survive when God's called us to say, I want to teach you something. Because he doesn't just leave you there. He says he has rescued us from those terrifying encounters where we felt no breath. Where we despaired even of going on. Where we felt like giving up. When we say, God, I, 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 I refuse to trust in my strength, my ability, my smarts any longer. And I'm looking to you. The intention of God is that sometimes God will stop you for a short time so he can empower you for a long time. Just surrender. I don't know if you've ever, living on the island, we surfed from time to time. And when you're learning to surf, waves are big. You need big waves, especially if you're bigger. You need a bigger wave. But when you're surfing, you can fall off of the surfboard. And when you do, you can sometimes get caught in almost like a washing machine. You're like it's a whirlpool underwater. You don't know which is up or which is down. And you're fighting against the wave, trying underwater so you don't drown. You're running out of breath. And they tell you, just surrender. Surrender to the wave. Because what happens when you surrender to the wave, it pops you to the top. Been under there, and I've been fighting. I remember it, and I was like, which way's up? And bang, it hit your... Oh, it's not that way, that's the ground. And so, it's the other way. But when I just relaxed, suddenly I came to the surface. And sometimes life, not sometimes... The Christian life is more about surrender than anything. Because it's God who works in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. It's God. It starts it. It's, God's, it's God that empowers it. It's God that breathes life into you so that you can be who you're called to be. You can not be stuck forever in the doldrums. He does not intend us to survive. I love what it says there. We fasten our hopes on him. It's like it gives this picture of somebody just like, here's my hopes. And I'm tying myself to him. I'm not letting go. In Hebrews, it talks about we have an anchor for this. We have an anchor for our soul in Jesus. He's the one. 
that can make sense of my storm. He's the one that can help me through my storm. He's the one that walks with me in the storm. He's the one that can bring me out of the storm and the doldrums and the place of lifelessness. But God brings us to the end of ourselves in our doldrums. And we can sometimes miss the message. We sometimes feel that because I feel lifeless, that I am lifeless. But if you're a Christ follower, the life of heaven, the breath of heaven is in you. Don't run when you feel lifeless. Don't run from the anger, the frustration, the deadness inside. Don't stifle the feelings of anxiety that's within you. But turn like Paul says. And he says, I fasten my hopes. I place all of my trust in God. Because his intent in the doldrums is to destroy the thing that's going to destroy you if he doesn't deal with it. Trusting in your own ability will destroy your future. Trusting your own strength, you will never make it. Trusting your good ideas, you're not that smart. Standing in your pride that I don't need to, I have no need. Dealing with our wandering heart. Realigning our priorities that have got us off track. Strengthening us through our storm. Because sometimes Jesus will stop you for a short time in some doldrums. So that he can get with you and empower you for a long time. Because life is not a moment. It's not just here and there. It's a journey. And sometimes we get off track for whatever reason. And we get there. Don't miss the message. Jesus said this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? He says, come to me. I love the invitation of Jesus. He didn't say, are you tired, worn out, burned out? Get it together. Figure it out. Come on. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps and let's get going. Get away with me. Come to me. You'll recover your life. You'll find your breath. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. The Bible is not so that you can have more information. It's an invitation to a relationship with the God of heaven so that he can walk with you so you can learn the unforced rhythms of grace. He won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, the, the world and your schedule and your life has, but he says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's an invitation of love. It's God saying, come on. You're out of breath. Come on. Tired, worn out, burned, burned out. It's time to catch your breath again. It's time to catch your breath again. See, Jesus sees the worn out. He sees the low energy. He sees this burnout and trying to fix everything to fix ourselves, our struggle to find life that he offers. Don't vacate to some other thing. Set aside some time, some holy days with him. He sees you burned out trying to fix everything, to fix yourself, to fix your struggle, to find life. But embrace the doldrums and let them turn your heart towards Jesus afresh. Let him deal with your drift. Let him come to you in your storm. Let him, let him throw out and respond to his invitation. Because he wants to take you into deep relationship out instead of stale obligation, where you will learn to live freely and lightly. <sighs> Breathe again. <sighs> Breathe again. Yeah, but I'm really 
worried. <sighs> Breathe again. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. You see, this is a series that today is just about a day of an invitation. Out of stale obligation. Out of listless days into fresh relationship with Jesus. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about some ways that Jesus leads us out of our doldrums. Because they're there and they're real, you're, that doesn't mean you're meant to stay there forever. God has a destination for your life, but He's going to lead you. It's, one, it's wonderful. One of the images of God is the is Holy Spirit and, and the breath or the wind of God. And that the wind of God would come and fill the sails of your life again. Can I invite you to stand? We're going to close out. That the wind of God would come and refresh. That it's not more stale obligation. It's a rediscovery or the realization of our need, our desperate need for a relationship with Jesus. Learning how to walk with Jesus again. Or maybe it's discovering again, or possibly for the first time, the great joy of responding to the invitation of Jesus. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want the rest? Come. Come to him. Respond to him. Invite him. Lead Jesus. Refresh Jesus. Restore Jesus. Reorient me, Jesus. Restore Re- redirect me, Jesus. Rebuild me, Jesus. Do inside of me. Because we live from the inside out and, and we're looking for something on the outside to change what's happening on the inside. It actually works the other way around where we invite and we respond to Jesus. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. We just want to give that moment right now. Just to give privacy to the people around us. It's not anything spooky. but Sweet, look, it's, maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor... I need the life of heaven within me. I need the breath of heaven. I, I hear the invitation of Jesus. Come to me. Come to me. I'll give you life. And I'll begin to breathe life in you. And you say, Pastor, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Like, and in the, in, in the midst of the lifelessness and the listlessness and the not knowing where to go, but maybe for the first time, you need to surrender your life to Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. We're not going to do anything to embarrass you. or We just want to pray with you and, and help you to find your way to Jesus. Right down the middle. Anyone? You're here. My right, your left. All right. Well, perhaps you're here today and you're, you recognize that you are in the doldrums for whatever reason doesn't matter why. It could be a drift. It could be uh, you're, you've just si- suddenly found yourself there. It could be a storm seems to have pushed you there. And you just feel like, feel a little listless. I feel a little bit like I need to catch my breath again. If that's you, just raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Yeah. Come on. If that's you. I need a fresh breath. Just keep it up. Keep it up. We're going to pray for you. We're just going to ask Jesus to do what Jesus does. Yes. Yeah, come on. If you say, Pastor, I need a fresh touch of Jesus in my heart and in my life. I need it. Yes, yes, yes. So Holy Spirit, and if your hand's not up, can I just ask you to begin to pray? Begin to pray for people all over the room that have put their hands up and saying, I need a fresh touch of Jesus. Jesus, 
We welcome you. We welcome you right now, Jesus. This is spiritual work. It's not always three lines and do these four things. It's We just need to meet with Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, as people have responded, said, Lord, I, I need a fresh touch from you. Lord, whether it's in this moment, whatever they feel, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you respond. And you say, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So, Lord, people right now that are struggling under in the doldrums, feeling listless, feeling alone, feeling overwhelmed, whatever it might be, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Breathe in. Breathe in. Blow, Holy Spirit. Refresh. Renew right now. Let's welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that as we respond to you over these next four or five weeks, Lord, and, and you lead us out of the doldrums, Lord, lead us into a fresh life and fresh joy and fresh vitality, Lord, and wherever, uh, wherever we're at on that continuum, Lord, that all of us would take a step forward in our relationship with you and allow you, and Lord, to shape us and allow you to lead us into the unforced rhythms of grace, that we learn to breathe again. We learn to trust you in a storm, to trust you afresh with our drifting heart, and learn to breathe again. Amen. I invite you to sit down. We're just going to quickly, not quickly, we're going to take the time to take communion right now. Just invite, guys, just distribute it right away. We have our ushers are going to distribute to you. We'll just, just start singing a song while it's being distributed.
Hebrews 4 and 16 in the Passion Translation says this, referring to Jesus and so now because of what Jesus did, as he went, gave his life, gave up his body, sacrificed himself, poured out his blood to pay for our sin, to reconcile us to God. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned. To receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Mercy's kiss. Sometimes I think when we think of God, we think of angry, frustrated. But because of Jesus, we can come boldly before that throne to receive mercy's kiss, discover the grace we need. So Jesus, we thank you for grace that's purchased for us and given to us because of Jesus. We receive afresh, Lord, from you. Thank you for your body. Lord, that you were beaten, battered, and bruised for the healing and the total restoration, the total salvation of us. Completely delivered in Jesus' name. We thank you for your body. Lord, we also thank you for your blood shed for the forgiveness of sin that you paid a debt you didn't know. You paid our debt so we can be free and be reconciled to God. We thank you for it. We're grateful for your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that wherever we're at and whatever place we're in, you are rich in mercy and abounding in love. Thank you that we can come boldly before your throne. We're grateful for who you are in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If you want to take your cup and put it, go to your right, stack them all up. Someone will pick them up at the end of the road. Don't worry about it now. I know some of you stress over it. The ushers will pick them up after. Don't worry about it right now because we're going to transition. Somebody will. This is Canada Day. And uh, I know that some of you, um, you can probably roll that off. Uh, some of you dressed in red and white because you wanted to win a prize. And I, do I have my prizes here? Okay. So, but we're not just going to give these away. You need to come. If you, we have one for, okay, this is a Tim Hortons gift card. Why do we have Tim Hortons and not Starbucks? I think it's American owned. It's the only day I'm making this exception. I know some of you love Tim Hortons. For those of you that don't know, he's, it's actually a real person, a hockey player. How, how Canadian is that? That a hockey player would start a coffee shop. Well, calling it coffee is rather a loose interpretation of coffee. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. You can go for the Tim Horton donuts, right? We all know it's a honey cruller that wins the day every day. Okay, so if you're red and white and you want an opportunity to win one of these gift cards, you can come get it. Come on. Red and white, come up here. I'm not just going to automate. Stand up here. Just wait. We're going we're gonna to have a clap off. We're going to have a clap off. Okay? Come on, get out here. Clap off. Whoa! Woo! I'll just give it to Sandy and Kevin. Sandy okay. and Kevin. So what we're going to do is we're going to clap off. The loudest clapper is getting the first one. The clapper. Yeah. You recognize you had nothing to offer. You went and sat down, didn't you? Okay. First, so we'll start here. How about here? 
Okay. A little bit more. How much did you pay those people? Hey. It's my So Grace is winning to this point. Okay. Columbia. Oh, Grace. Kevin's now in the lead. You're in second place now, bro. Oh, they like you, but... Uh-oh. Uh. You're not in the family yet. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. One and there. That's there. Oh, these are brave people. Okay. It's the hat. Okay, we're liking that. Oh, wait, come on. You can do better than that. You're Filipino. Come on. No. Whoa. Okay. So, I think. We have third place between this one and I think, uh, okay, come on over here. Hat, with your hat on. Bring your hat, Jerry. Come on, Jerry. This is third. We're going for third. Right here, between. Okay, ready? Oh, all right. Okay. First place. Oh, this one's Sandy. Second place. And third place. Now, what we're going to do is we have cake in the lobby, but before we go, you guys are going to get to go first, but we're going to sing O Canada. You get to all stay here. You're all going to stay here, and we're going to sing O Canada. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's make this a prayer for our nation. If you got a hat on, this is your time to take it off. They do it at the hockey game, even at the hockey game. Let's make this a prayer for our nation right now. Ready? Yeah. Oh, Canada, our home and native land, true patriot love, in all thy sons command, with glowing hearts we
for our nation, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you brought us from all over the globe to be in this nation. Thank you, Lord, for the First Nations people of our nation, Lord. Thank you for people from every nation under heaven that live and call this nation home. And, Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts towards you, Lord, that you would revive our nation, Lord, that you would do what we cannot, Lord, that you would bring revival to your church, Lord, that you would see, that we would see revival from sea to sea, from the great river to the ends of the earth, Lord, that you will have dominion in Canada. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. All of you that are out front, go first to get your piece of cake. They go first. Give them a hand for coming. They go first. They get their first piece of cake. Run. Oh, they're not going. Anyway, God bless you as you go. Happy Canada Day. Let's do our groove. Let's do the groove. Yeah. Okay. Boom.